Well, good morning and welcome to Hope Church. If it's your first time watching online or your first time in the building, you are our VIP. Can we give it up for all our first-time guests? Welcome to Hope. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, we are those people of hope. We actually joyfully anticipate good things from an amazingly good God. Like we get excited and expectant for God to be good. We know he's always been good. He's good right now, and he's going to be good in our future, and that gives us hope. We say Jesus is the hope for humanity. Come on, in a world that is losing its mind sometimes, and sometimes just in chaos and different areas and different ways, they're just running in every direction. We, we find peace in a God. We find strength in a God. We find joy in a God who remains the same. His goodness goes from generation to generation. His mercy is brand new every single day, and we love him for being consistently, ever say consistently, faithfully, consistently good. He is so good. My name's Nate, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here. And I want to tell you, God is the best thing. Jesus in my life is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I love his goodness. I love him because he's good. And I love him because he's fun. How many of you guys know God is a good God? And he wants us to enjoy life, not to endure it. And so we think church should reflect that, uh, an enjoyable experience. Are you having fun this morning so far? Are you excited that you brought your kids to Nerf Camp Award Ceremony Sunday? Come on, I cannot wait to see them. I can't wait to get them. Today we're in a, a series of, of talks. We do a series of talks. This one's called Chomp, as you can see. And uh, we're in week three of our summer series called Chomp. And I think of the cookie monster when I think of Chomp. He goes, nom, 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 right? And whenever I, I hear the cookie monster in my head, I think, chomp, 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 chomp. Everybody say, chomp, 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 chomp. Give me a cookie monster. Nom, 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 nom. Anybody hungry this morning? I love hunger. I mean, maybe you're hungry for the word of God. Maybe you're hungry for food. It doesn't matter. Just give me a good nom, 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 nom. Very cool. We've been talking about appetites. This, this series is all about appetites. And whatever you have an appetite for advances in your life. Whatever you have an appetite for, you usually act on that thing. Whatever you feed on, you tend to see flourish in your life. Yes? And uh, last week, we actually celebrated Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. How many of you guys are Shark Week fans? Anybody watch Shark Week? That's incredible. They, they, they were so brilliant over there at the Discovery Channel. They said, people love sharks. So we're going to dedicate a whole year. And they got millions of more viewers because they went just for sharks in a whole week. Shark Week is going strong. And today here at Hope Church, we're celebrating Shark Week as well. Here's a fun shark fact for you. You ready for it? Sharks never stop moving forward. The thing that sharks and Hope Church have in common, I'd say the most, is that sharks never stop moving forward. They never swim backwards. They even move forward in their sleep. Because if they don't get like the water going over their gills or whatever they are, they don't get oxygen and they die, actually. Sharks are the only fish that can't move backwards. They only move forward. Hope Church is a church that cannot move backwards. We're only going to keep moving forward. Ever say forward. And uh, actually, if you want to drown a shark, you just pull a shark backwards by its tail. And it will actually drown to death. Isn't that wild? Sharks are kind of easy to kill. If you flip them over upside down, their brains go numb, and that's how killer whales kill sharks. They just flip them over, and they can't swim. They can't move. They, like, get paralyzed. Also, to kill a shark, if you're ever in the water with a shark, just grab it by the tail and pull it backwards for an extended amount of time, and uh, that sucker will drown. Everybody say drown. And uh, 
Yes, like sharks, if we move backwards, we will find our lives drowning. Everybody say drowning. That's why we are committed to the future more than our past. And we are joyfully anticipating good things from a good God in our future because we don't want to die drowning in, in the shallows of water just pulling us backwards. We're going to keep moving forward. Today, we are celebrating our summer Nerf camp boys, and they are incredible. The guys love playing Nerf this week, but this year, it wasn't just Nerf camp. It was Fortnite Nerf camp. And if you don't know what Fortnite is, it's this video game. And the coolest thing about Fortnite, in my opinion, is not just that they shoot each other and win battles and do really cool nerfish type things. It's that they have these victory dances. And these victory dances are so, like, um, branded and marketed. You got, like, the floss. You got, like, the uh, best mates. You got all sorts of different dances. And so every single Nerf camp team had a dance to go with their squad. Nerf Teams Hype and Floss, would you guys please grace the stage? Let's give it up for Nerf Teams Hype and Floss. They are coming out. They're coming strong. It's a lot of intimidation out here, but we're going to see a few of the Nerf Camp. Are you ready for it? The Nerf Camp victory dances. All right, you guys ready? Get to us, John. We will never take a loss. We are Squad Floss. Okay, let's do it one more time. One Come on, let's time. help them out. You guys got to shout it out nice and loud. I have the mic, but you guys got to be just as loud. Ready? Here we go. We will... <laughs> okay, hold on. We will never take a loss. We are Squad Floss. Let's, Let's hear give it, it up for Squad Floss. Floss. All right. Oh, one of my favorites, Team Hype. Go ahead, Team Hype. Let's snipe, get hype. We are hype squad. Let's snipe, get hype. We are hype squad. Let's come on, let's give it up for them. Next up, thank you guys, hype and guys floss. Let's get good. best mates and robot out here. Oh, Everybody man. say victory dance. It's like taunting your enemy after you destroy them on Fortnite. This is their dance move. Let's see it. We got team. Here we go. Best mates, right best here. Best mates. Ready? We are best mates, all we do is dominate. We are best mates, all we do is dominate. Let's hear Come it for them. You guys are dismissed. You guys are good. All right, robot. You guys ready for it? Thank you, guys. Show me what you got. Who's the best? Robots. Show me who's the best. Let's hear it for the robot squad. That was so... So good. Let's give it up for those squads one more time. Great job, guys. All right, now a little rest. You know, when we win, we have this tendency to dance. We call it a victory dance. You call it what you want to call it. You don't have to put any extras on it. We dance. Everybody say we dance. And as people of hope, I think it's so important in our world, surrounded by all the chaos that COVID has caused, that we never lose our dance that we don't lose our celebration. We don't lose our victory. We don't lose our dance. We can't forget that we serve a God who always leads us into victory. He gives us victory in life. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Now thanks be to this God, our God, who always, everybody say always? Who always leads us into triumph in Christ. You might think, you know, Christians or people who believe in Jesus, they might tend to lose or be weak and need crutches, like God is a crutch for the weak. I want to tell you, God is the furthest thing from a crutch for the weak. He is strength to the strong. He gives us a triumph. Everybody say triumph. 
in Christ. In Christ, we win. That's what the Bible says. Last week, we taught your guys that they are more than conquerors. That means winning on top of winning in Christ Jesus. They're champions plus in Christ. Are you catching this? All over the Bible, we see a God who is for you and never against you. A God who plans to prosper you and not to harm you and give you a future and a hope opposed to what you may have heard about God, just looking for a reason to strike you or hurt you or slow you down or hold you back or pull you back and drown you to death, okay? Because that is not the God that we serve. God is not out to steal, kill, destroy, or drown you in life by pulling your life backwards. He actually said, I came that you might have life and life to the fullest. I came to accelerate your life, to bring you into fullness of life, not to take your life away. So when I connected to Christ and I gave my life to him, he actually made me more than I was before. And he actually elevated me and empowered me to live not just an incredible life, but an impossible life. We believe that Jesus is actually the life of the party here on earth. He is the gift with a lift. I mean, every time people encounter him, they leave with a little bit more pep in their step. And that's the way you're going to leave Hope Church if you come anytime. You're going to leave with a spring in your step, a pep in your step, knowing that God is for you and that where he is, no weapon, no enemy shall prosper. And you're going to be successful and prosperous in your life. In Exodus 15, 20, we see Miriam, the prophet. She's the sister of Aaron. She's taking an instrument in her hand, and she's dancing a victory dance. Okay? They were dancing with all their might and singing a new song to the Lord. It went like this. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider, all 600 of our enemies, have been thrown and drowned into the sea. And she starts singing and dancing. I will sing unto the Lord. Or he had, I don't know what, what her best mate move. What She had it going. And she was rocking it. Because you see, in Egypt, they had been slaves for 400 years. That's a reason to dance. And when they were finally set free, the Pharaoh or the king, he changed his mind and he chased after them. He's like, what am I doing? I'm losing all my stuff because they took all the spoils of Egypt. And I'm losing all my slave labor force. I want my stuff back. And so he changed his mind, and he wanted his stuff back. He says, we're talking about a million people, 2.5 to 3.5 million people being chased down and driven towards the Red Sea, a wall of water. Moses, their leader, has them right in a trap. He has taken them right into a trap, and their backs are up against a wall of water. And it's like they're blocked by water. The sharks are closing in. The entire military is chasing after him. Moses is getting pressured. He's like, ah, what are we going to do? And it was like scary stuff. Like, I mean, seriously. The sharks are closing in, and they want their slaves, and they want their stuff back. And after Moses tells them to stand still, this is his strategy. Everybody just stand still. We're going to see God do something amazing. God says, no, 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 Moses, stop it. Stop crying out to me, telling people to stand still. He says, actually, tell the people to keep moving forward. You see, God's people are notorious for thinking like shrimp and less like sharks. And he says, I want you to act more like a shark than a shrimp. And I want to tell the people of God not to cry out, not to pray, not to be all mamsy-pamsy, but grow a fin and come on, keep finding your inner fin and start moving forward. I would say move forward. And they're like, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. 
just keep swimming. And Bruce is like, I'm coming after you. And they're like, no, 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 no. They didn't actually start swimming. But God said, stop crying out to me, Moses, and start telling the people to move forward. And so Moses takes his stick and he strikes the Red Sea with his strength and the Red Sea splits. Now, maybe you think this is a fairy tale, but this is factual. And all the Israelites walk across on dry ground. That's the power of our God. And what was a wall of water has now turned into a path in the sea. Are you catching me? And then as the Egyptians pursue them in their 600 chariots, it was the best military might of the, the time. The water comes crashing in on them, pulling them backwards, and a huge army drowns in the sea because they're dragged backwards by the water. And so water is the weapon that drowns the, and defeats the most powerful military jaw in all the world at the known time. And that's incredible because we see sharks turning into shrimp and shrimp turning into sharks. And this is why we see Miriam, this is where we pick up Miriam, dancing on the watery grave of her enemy. And she's freaking pumped because they're no longer slaves to Egypt. They're no longer oppressed and stuck in slavery and sin and stupidness. The shark has been slain. It's like, thank you, Jesus. And God is leading them out of oppression and into victory and freedom. And they are dancing. Wouldn't you be dancing? Let's get a few more victory dances going this morning. Jubilation Squad. Let's, let's fire it up, Jubilation Squad. Jubilation. Nerf Nation. Jubilation Squad. We run. We'll do it one more time. You ready for it? We run. Make some noise. Let's hear it for the Jubilation Squad. All right, Disco. Come on up front. Come on. This way. Disco a bit. Inferno. Let's go. Ready? Right. Oh, this side. This side. There we go. Ready? Let's go, Disco. 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 I lost my breath on that one. You guys are dismissed. Thank you. The best. Next up, we got the Eagle Squad. The Eagle Squad. You guys ready for this? Ready? Fly like an eagle. All right, one more time. One more time. Fly like an eagle. In your face. Come on. Come on up, Tidy. Come Great on job, up. Eagle Squad. Nice job, Eagles. Let's hear for the Eagles. Last but not least, they are small, but they are mighty in their team, Tidy. Here we go. Team Tidy. Let's go, Tidy. Let's go, Tidy. Again, let's go, Tidy. Let's go, Tidy. Let's hear it for the Tidy Squad. Hey, That's a victory dance if I've ever seen one. Come on. I mean, if you see 600 chariots from your past coming back to trap you, coming back to shame you, to suffocate you with where you belong and suck you back into a subpar life, you see them get stopped in their tracks and swallowed in the sea at the hand of God, you get delighted and you get excited. You're like, let's go, Tidy. We are mighty. And you just, you just get after it. Come on. When you see what God has done in your life, I don't know about you, but when I look back and I see what God has delivered me from, for you will find yourself dancing even if you're standing in a desert because of great things he has done. Great things he has done for my life. He's so good. You'll be dancing in a dry place. You'll be dancing in a desert because while you're dry, your enemy just got pulled back into what drowns most people. And I'm not drowning. I'm not defeated. I'm alive. 
And I got a reason to sing, a reason to dance. Hey, I want to ask you, in 2021, after all you've been through in the past year, do you still have a victory dance? Even if you're a dry place of your life, do you still have a victory dance worth dancing? I want to tell you, if you're still feeling dry today, and you lost your reason to dance, and you lost your reason to sing, you might want to remind yourself that God has taken you out of Egypt. He's taken you out of slavery, out of the bondage of shame and condemnation, and set you free. My Bible says there is zero condemnation, zero garbage holding you back for those of you who are in Christ Jesus, that you are actually free indeed. So yes, they're doing their victory dance with their cheer, and they're just singing it. We are mighty. Let's go tidy. Let's go disco. Let's go disco. And they're getting after it because their captors are gone forever. There is no more threat from Egypt. They can sleep soundly every night because they saw it with their own eyes. They're not looking over their shoulders. It's settled. And they're free. They kept moving forward. They grew a fin and became a shark. And God swallowed the other sharks up in the sea. They're free indeed. Jesus didn't set you free to live in bondage. He didn't let you set you free for you to go back to slavery. But here it is. After they're free and they're dancing on the graves of their enemies, they run into a little bit of trouble. And things in life start to get tough. And here's the thing. Everybody goes through life, but believers go through life differently. See, in this world, there will be trouble, Jesus said. But take heart. Be brave. I have overcome all the world of trouble that you could be in. And so we find victory even in places of vulnerability. And here they are in a tough spot. And here's the thing. Way too many of us, we swim back at the first sign of trouble. We get our swimmies on and we swim back across the Red Sea at the first sign of trouble. And too many of us want to go back at the first sign of things getting difficult. But I want to encourage you this morning. Difficult does not mean done. Just because things get different in your life, just because you have new normals, just because things get difficult, doesn't mean you should throw in the towel and be done. Well, I'm done with that church. I'm done with those people. I'm done with those friends. I'm done with this job. Don't be done just because it's difficult. I'm done with that boss. Even though you feel desperate, even though you, you feel like nobody will ever love me, don't be dumb in a desperate situation. Don't just do whatever because it's not done. It's not done. Everybody say, it's not done. It's not done. So he left you and he abandoned you with your babies. It's not done. It's not finished. Failure is not final with our God. Fatigue is not the same thing as finished. Keep fighting. Everybody say, keep fighting. keep fighting. Keep fighting through the desperation. Keep fighting through the difficulty. Fight through the despair. Fight through the disappointment. Fight because God is not done with you yet. If you're not dead, he's not done. Everybody say, if I'm not dead, he's not done. And yes, you may feel like you're drowning, but remember, God's not done. You might feel like you're dying on the inside over that tragedy, but God's not done. Because God has the ability to turn that thing around and cause them to drown and not you. He says, I take what the enemy meant for evil and I work it. I flip it for good. I turn it around and they start to drown. And you start to live a life of freedom. And here's the thing you need to know about God. It was for freedom that Christ has set you free. God didn't just deliver you so you could die in a desert. He delivered you to develop you. And sometimes you get developed through tough situations, through difficult situations. And he says, I'm going to deliver you to develop you into something you've never been before. And I'm actually going to elevate you and I'm going to empower you into a life to the fullest. Not of survival, but of survival. 
You're about to thrive in life. His goal for the people of Israel was to take them from slaves and transform them into soldiers. To take them from poverty and transform them into good success and a lot of prosperity. To deliver them from oppression and give them opportunity in a land flowing with milk and honey. And he wanted Israel out of Egypt. He wanted them out because he had a bright future and a living hope for their life. He had good plans of good things, not evil. He wants them to go from, go to, from being crushed to being more than conquerors, to conquering cities. They were being crushed every day, all day, for 400 years. And he says, I want to turn these slaves who are being crushed into conquerors who take dominion, who have great success. He had a life of victory and prosperity in mind for his people. And I want to tell you something. This is not just about the Bible. This is about you today. He still wants the very best for his people. He still has a hope and a future for his people. And this is the thought. Too many of us give up at the first sign of a hard time. I mean, after they've seen God uh, deliver them through flies and frogs and locusts and like the bloody Nile and the boils, the firstborn death. I mean, all the plagues. We see Moses do some pretty radical things with the power of God. The first response at the red wall sea of water is this in Exodus 14, 11. It says, they said to Moses, their leader, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here in a desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve our captors. Let us serve the Egyptians. Basically, they're saying, we are comfortable with our comatose, do-nothing lives, but whatever you tell us to do, we'll do it. Yes, master. Yes, sir. Yes, boss. We are comfortable in our comatose. We don't want to change. We don't want to grow. We don't want challenge. We want to go serve as slaves. Who cares about a calling to be free when you're comfortable in your slavery? They said, it would have been better for us to have served the Egyptians than to die as free men and women in the desert. And they want to go back to the slave slums that they're used to. Because it might not be perfect, but at least it's predictable. And your life might not be perfect, but it might be predictably bad. And at least you're not surprised and you're not jaded. And you're just like, man, I knew life is hard. I knew life is bad. At least I didn't get my hopes up. At least I didn't joyfully anticipate anything good. See, I told you this is the way life is. And you have a predictable life. <laughs> it's not perfect. It's predictable. Predictable life of poverty. And that's what they're hungry for. That's what their appetite is for. I want poverty. I want slavery. I want comfort. I want dysfunction like my family's had dysfunction for 400 years. Wow. Because after a while, if you've been told the same thing, you're worthless, you're a piece of trash, we don't do it like that. This is not the so-and-so way. This is how the so-and-sos deal with life. Guess what? You start to believe them and say, that's where I belong, at the bottom of the barrel, right there underneath whoever's thumb. And you start to place yourself in a place of slavery. You find all the dysfunctional men and you say, would you, would you go out with me? <laughs> you find all the dysfunctional Home, life, anything that matches your predictability. And you come down to the level of your experience. Moses said, keep moving forward. Moses said, don't go back. Don't get stuck. Don't go back to what you're used to. It's dysfunctional back there. You're slaves. 
And they've come out of the Red Sea unscathed because Moses has decided to be their deliverer. They had a victory dance. And just three days later, everybody say three days. Chapter 15, it says, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses again, saying, what are we going to drink? I'm thirsty. I got an appetite. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became better and good to drink. Can you imagine being the leader, Moses? I mean, he's doing a job he never wanted to do. He said, God, I don't want to do this. He surrendered his life for this, and they hate their liberator. And they are hungry for their captors. And no matter what the outcome, they think that Moses is the problem. Again, they're not believing for better. They're looking and addicted to what's bitter. They're trying to go back to the bitter thing. And they're trying to go back to the dysfunction. They're trying to go back to the brokenness. Because they're not looking for better. They're just going back to bitter. All they are used to is evil leadership that treats them poorly and live a dysfunctional life, a leadership culture for 400 years. And this is what they do at work because this is what everybody does at my work. We gripe about the boss. We whine about our CEO. It's not him. Who is it then? If it's not him, then who can it be? All I know is to do what everybody else does. And they keep grumbling and complaining. I'm talking about millions of people against one man, even though it's so obvious that Moses is their liberator and God is with him. They have a critical spirit that just continues complaining. There's a big difference between a person with a critical spirit and a critical thinker. There's critical spirited people and then there's critical thinking people. Critical spirited people complain about everything. Critical thinkers come up with solutions to everything. Which are you? Critical spirit? You find everything wrong with every organization and every church and every friend and every boss and every coworker? Or are you a critical thinker who makes your world better and looks for what's right in people and pulls the best out of them? These people complain no matter what. All they were used to was bitter and broken and dysfunction. Look what it says in Exodus 16, just one chapter later. In the desert, the whole community, surprise, surprise, after the Red Sea, after the water transformed, after they've been delivered from their slaves, uh, Egyptians, oh my gosh, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And it gets even worse. The Israelites said to them, if we had only died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, I'd rather die back there than out here in the desert. They, were, they said, we sat around pots of meat Jump, 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 jump. And we ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us out to this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They actually think Moses' leadership is the problem and what's wrong with their life. They didn't realize that it was Moses' leadership that was taking them forward into the promised land. They said, only if we would have died in Egypt, we want to go back. We're so hungry for our dysfunction. In Egypt, we could just chomp all day. Chomp, 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 chomp. There were buckets of meat. I mean, everywhere we turn, meat, meat, meat. It was like chum in the water. I like to say, really? I mean, come on. You keep talking about the good old days like they were good. But they're just old days. This is the same Egypt and the same Pharaoh that killed the firstborn son of every household that was two years old and under. They just went into your home, took your sons, and fed them to the crocodiles in the Nile River as sacrifices. This is the same Egyptians that work people to death building their cities and their statues. Like literally worked them till they died. 
The Bible says the Egyptians were threatened by the Israelites, the millions of people, and so they halved the amount of food. They cut in half the amount of food they gave them, and they, they, so they're emaciated, but they also doubled their work hours. And right after that, the Bible says, but the women of Israel were lively women. Do we have any lively women in the house? And they just kept on making babies. Somehow, hungry and, and overworked, they just kept making babies, and they were even more threatened by them. Because they were lively women, and they found time to, to, to do the things. Because <laughs> there are people of hope saying, I, I'm going to continue to believe for the future. Or what is it? There's something supernatural going on where they were like, it doesn't matter how much you don't feed us, how much you beat us and work us, we're going to be resilient. We're going to rise up inside. And this is what they were going through. Half the food, double the work hours. This is insanity. But isn't it funny how the children of Israel remembered it? How they look back at the good old days and they say, oh, it was so much better back there in slavery. And this sounds crazy, but sometimes as believers, we go backwards. And every time you go backwards, what happens to every shark that goes backward? You drown. Maybe not as a shrimp, but as a shark, you drown. You got to stop being a shrimp and start thinking like a shark. They go backwards, wishing they were in the good old days of slavery. When they had no purpose, they had no passion, they were lost they were directionless. They were depressed. They just kind of bounced through the sea like a little shrimp would bounce through the sea. Pointless. But I don't want to go back. I don't want to be a shrimp. I want to be a shark. I want to keep moving forward. I don't want to lose my dance in 2021 because dancing means taking new ground. You were born for new victories in 2021, not old defeats. I don't, I don't long to go back. I look to the future with joyful anticipation. Are you looking ahead or longing to go back this morning? One thing that we taught the nerfers, the warriors at camp this week, was winners never whine and whiners never win. Would you say that with me? Winners, whiners. It's a great thing to say at the beginning of nerf camp. And I'd like to say that's original to me, but I actually got that from this guy named Gideon. The Bible says Gideon was hiding in a wine press. He's in a bunker, paralyzed in fear. He's just so desperate, hiding out in a place of joy and, and rejoicing. He's turned a place into fear and complaining. So not only is he hiding and he's threshing wheat because he's hungry, and every time they start making food, the enemy comes, da 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 takes all their resources, takes all their food, and so he's in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing because he's in fear and he wants to eat. He has an appetite to survive. And guess what he's doing while he's threshing wheat in a wine press? He's whining about how strong the other team is. And God comes to him and says, come on, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Gideon, you are a mighty champion. What? The name Gideon means warrior, or literally one who cuts in pieces. One who slices and dices. Right now, Gideon doesn't look like a warrior. He looks like a wimp. He looks like a whiner. He's hiding in a wine press, talking about what he's not able to do and how unfair life is. He's the opposite of a warrior or one who cuts in pieces. And Gideon just lifts his eyes. He looks at the angel. He says, yeah, angel, if God is with us, explain this then. Where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about saying, has not the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? Where are all these miracles and these wonderful works? And God's like, you mean... The same people that whined after I set them free with the water. 
You were whining before God intervened in your life. And now you're whining after God intervenes in your life. I don't think the problem's with God. I think there's a problem with you. I want to see the works of God. I want to see God do what he did for so-and-so. I want to see what he did for the Israelites back in Egypt. And you're hiding in a wine press, whining? Talking about what you're not, what you can't do. He says, where are all these works? He's like, what? You want to see my works so you can whine too? Because these people spent 40 years complaining and whining in a desert after they've been delivered. No, 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 no. He's saying, God has forsaken us. He's left us out to dry. That's why the other team oppresses us. The angel turns to him and says, oh, man, this is a grace-filled angel. Go, Gideon. Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites, the enemy. Have I not sent you? Gideon says, how can I go? Wah, wah, wah. I've lost my dance. I'm kind of a dunce. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not dancing. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I'm the least in my father's house. And, and our house is the least in all the clans. And our clan is the least of all the tribes. I'm the least, least, least. I'm not able to go. The angel says to him, go get in. For the Lord will be with you. And you will defeat the entire enemy army as if they were one man. You were born to battle. You were born to dominate. Today, I want you to know that God doesn't just make you better. He makes you well, good. He doesn't make you good. He makes you better than you could ever be by yourself. God makes you look better, and God makes you be better. He creates something in you that transcends your best efforts. With God, you become more than meets the eye. He calls you and creates you into a champion lifestyle, a life where you only win. All you do is win, 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 win. In fact, God will elevate you to a place where you could never get to by yourself. I don't serve God because I have to. I serve God because I get to. And he takes my life of nothingness and he elevates me and he empowers me to live a life not that's really good, not that's really, really nice if I really try hard. No, a life that's impossible for me to do by myself. He gets you doing things with your life that you can never do by yourself. Like taking on and taking out an entire enemy army with 300 men. Gideon says to God, I'm not. I'm not a warrior. I'm not a winner. Look at me. I'm a beat up wimp. My whole life, all I've ever known is defeat and loss. All I see is loss. All I see is disappointment. I'm jaded to Jesus. All I see is defeat. All I see is dysfunction. And the enemy comes to wipe out all their resources and all their supplies. He says, guess what? I've become a product of my environment. I'm doing what my father did and his father did and what his father did. I, I have become a product of my environment. I'm in the same place my family has always been. I'm living down to my experience in 2021. I am the weakest and the least. That's what they expect of me, and that's what I've been given them. But something we should all realize today is that when no one expects anything of you, it's an insult to you. It means you have nothing to offer. It means that you cannot improve. It means that you are not necessary on the team. And this is where Gideon found himself. No one expected anything from him. And he saw himself as the weakest and the least of all the people. And to me, that is so insulting. And yet believers do it all the time. I love how God came to him anyway. If you're a whiner, there's hope for you. If you're a complainer and all you see is what's wrong at work, there's hope for you. Because God does not come on you, come to you based on what you show him. He comes on you based on what you really are, what he really put inside of you. And I love how God came to him and treated him like he was a champion anyways. 
See, God is not like me. I hear you whining, I walk away. He hears you whining, he says, there's something in you. You don't quit on yourself. You're not a loser. You're not the least. You got what it takes. I believe in you. I put something in you that's worth it. And he's like, I'm coming to you like you are well able, like you are a mighty man of valor, like he had more in him that he hadn't discovered yet at the age of 50. Have you figured yourself out so much that you have given up on what God has put inside of you because you're 60 now? Because you're 45? Because you're past your prime? I love how God believes in people who are whining past their prime in the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing. He believes in you today. He's for you today. He wants you to succeed in life. And not only that, he compliments you by expecting something great from your life. Expectation is a compliment. He expects you to win because he sees you as a champion that he created. He sees you as the head and not the tail, above only and never below. He says, Gideon, there's greatness down in you. Rise up, get up inside, and go where no one else sets a standard for you. Set a standard for yourself, where nobody else expects anything from you. Expect something for yourself. Stop being a complainer and start being a creator. You can either create solutions or you can complain about problems. You've got this, you champion, mighty man of valor. I expect something great from you every time I see you, people of hope. Every time I see you, I'm going to come in here. It's going to be a challenge to say, come on up here. Come on, you are born for this. There's greatness inside of you. You will never feel defeated. You'll never see me whining. You will see me drawing out the winner in you. Because I see winners, not whiners. I see warriors, not wimps. God says, don't wait for other people to see what I already see in you, what I already put in you. I know what I made you. I know what I put inside of you. Come on, now stop hiding and rise up in 2021 in this might of yours. You were born for this. And Gideon could have had a moment where he spiritualized it. He's like, no, 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 God, not my might. I want to rise up in your might. I want to stand still and see God do something. He's like, no, 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 no. Rise and go in this might of yours. Go in this might of yours. Of course, it's God who gives us strength. But he says, I've given you strength. Now go in the strength you got. Stop hiding and rise in this might of yours. And I want every religious person who keeps blaming their unfruitful lives on God. to so just listen for a second. It's not on him to produce. It's on you. I want to ask you, be fruitful. Make something. Do something in the strength that you are born. You are born for greatness. Don't blame God for your lack of greatness. Some of you may have been a product of your environment. I get it. You're living down to your current experience of COVID crisis in 2021, feeling like the weakest and the least in survival. I'm in survival mode financially, survival mode relationally, survival mode in my marriage. But the truth is, God wants you to live up to what he called you to before the crisis, in the crisis, and after the crisis. This is so important. He doesn't want you to lose your dance. He doesn't want you to live down to your experience. He wants you to live up to the high calling that's in Christ Jesus. The adventure that he has for you. I'm telling you what, you are more than a conqueror in Christ. So don't live down to your experience. Don't live down to your circumstance. Live up to his high calling. You may have had job loss. You may have had a wrong career choice. You may have faced losses in this past season. You might be going through a brutal divorce right now because you actually spent time with your husband. I'm telling you. You might never want to see your children again. 
I don't know what's happening in your home right now. You might be struggling with an addiction or dysfunction. I want you to know that God doesn't just want to provide atonement. He doesn't just want to cover your mistakes. He doesn't want to see you just squeak by in life. He doesn't just want to rescue you from your addiction so that you're always a recovering alcoholic, so that you're always a recovering drug addict. Hi, my name's Nate, and I'm a meth addict. No, no, stop saying that. There's more than just surviving by reminding yourself how stupid you are. You're, you're not just a once divorcee or a twice divorcee. You don't find your identity in what you did. We find our identity in Christ and what he did and what he finished and what he set you free from. He doesn't, see, he, he doesn't want to just cover your mistakes. What God does is so much better and so much beautiful, more beautiful than that. He doesn't just want to deliver you. He wants you to dominate. He wants you elevated in life. And he wants to empower you to live a life that's beyond your wildest dream. A life to the fullest. A life that you can't see, think, dream, or imagine. I want you to know that when you give your life to Christ, when you come to Jesus, he doesn't just cover it. He creates a new creation. He doesn't just provide atonement for your blemishes and your weaknesses. God will elevate you so you look so much better than you ever could on your own. And not only that, he will empower you to live a life that you never thought possible. You weren't just delivered to be delivered and do circles in a desert. You were delivered to dominate cities. Dominate cities. You know, the first miracle that Jesus ever did in the Bible, it sets the precedent. He turned water into wine. Hey, hey, where's the party at? The Savior, I serve, first thing he ever did, some people don't like this, he turned water into wine. He didn't turn water into grape, grape juice, he turned it into wine. How do we know? Because they gave it to the sommelier and a wine steward, the feast police. The sommelier didn't say, wow, this is great grape juice. He's like, no, this is the finest of wines. Let me tell you this story real quick as we close. This is the first impression that Jesus Christ made on the earth. The first sets the thermostat and the tone for the rest. Of all the miracles he could perform, God chose this to be his first miracle. Why? The Bible says the party had one out of wine. There's no more dancing. There's no more fun. This was an incredible blight and embarrassment for the groom. It's the groom's responsibility to make sure that there's enough wine for all the guests at the wedding. The groom right now, he looks like an idiot. He looks like a cheapskate. He did not plan properly. And he shirked his responsibility. He has negated his obligation. All these people bringing him presents, all these people honoring him and his family, and his responsibility is one job to do, dude. Make sure there's enough wine so we can keep on partying. When the story comes to Jesus, how many women gave your, your husband one job? Just find the DJ. Just find the DJ. Okay, the guy has one job to do. Get enough wine for everybody. When the story comes to Jesus, Jesus doesn't just cover the sin. He doesn't just cover this guy's mistake, his blemish. He doesn't just say, well, you know, I'm going to try to make the groom not look so stupid. No, the Bible says he sees six huge wash pots. He says, he says, fill them to the brim with water, about 30 to 40 gallons a piece in those wash pots. Anywhere between 180, 240 gallons of water. Let's just say 210 gallons of water. And he turns it into wine. And he says, take some of it and give it to the master of the feast. Well, you're not going to give dirty wash pot water to a sommelier and put it in his like, But Jesus knows that with every word of God, there is power released through an act of faith. Every word of God is released. There's power when there's an act of faith in stupidity through an act of obedience. So they scooped the water, 
But as they took the water and the chalice, they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, he's going to throw it in my face. Ah! But when they gave it to him, the act of obedience, the act of faith transformed that water into wine. And it, when he went to scoop it, that act of obedience, they gave it to him. And by the time it hits the lips of the sommelier, it became wine. But it didn't just become wine. It became the best wine he has ever tasted. He said, my goodness, at most weddings, they bring out the good wine at the start. And when everybody's had one or two glasses, a little bit sloshed, then they bring out the cheap stuff. But not you guys. My gosh, you have saved the very best wine for last. See, he didn't just save him. He, he didn't just deliver him. He brought him into domination. And said, man, Jesus doesn't just cover the sin. He doesn't just cover the transgression. He didn't just cover the neglect. Jesus did so much more than that for you. He elevated the groom, and the groom went from a place of shame to a place of elevation and praise. Look at the groom. He saved the best wine for last. What an awesome steward. What an awesome host. What an amazing guy. And not only that, we're talking about gallons of the best wine. It's about 1,600 bottles of wine in these gallons. Do you really think that Jesus was just authorizing everybody to get sloshed at this party? No, 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 not a chance. Jesus knew they didn't need all that wine that night. They didn't need all the wine. He knew the bride and the groom needed that to be empowered after the party. They could sell all those bottles of the finest wine the sommelier had ever tasted. And we know that a good bottle of wine on a cheap scale goes for about 200 bucks, anywhere up to several thousands of dollars for one bottle of wine. He knew that they could sell the rest of this wine, put a deposit down in a house, buy a house cash, depending on what neighborhood they lived in. Jesus took what was a negative, and he took the actions of an unprepared loser and elevated him and empowered him to live a life full of success and prosperity. You see, when Jesus gets involved, he doesn't just cover your shame. He doesn't just cover your flaws. He elevates you and empowers you. I am not an idiot. I serve Jesus for a reason. He makes me better than I am. He helps me be better than I am. He takes me into life to the fullest. I'm telling you, he is not a crutch for the weak. He is strength to the strong. He is a facilitator of greatness. The Bible says that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he, and he not only forgives our sins, that's the least that he does. It's the least that he does to cover our shame. The Bible says he has seated us. He's given us a position in heavenly places with Christ. The least that he does is, you know, cover our mistakes. The most that he does is give us a life to the fullest and the best seat in the house. To dominate, not when you get to heaven, right here on earth. Friend, the devil is a liar. <laughs> He wants you to believe that Jesus died on the cross to make you a stupid sinner that was forgiven. But you always got to remember that you're just an alcoholic, you're just a sinner forgiven, that you are a vile and you are scum and you're no good, you're detestable, and now God sort of tolerates you because you're a Christian. But nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible says to as many have called on him, to th them he gave the power to become the sons and daughters seated in the right hand of God. He hasn't just covered your sin. He has elevated and empowered you. And you no longer are just a forgiven child of darkness. You are now a born again son and daughter of light. He has elevated you into a family that's too good for you. 
He's given you a seat that's too tall for you. He's brought you into blessing and provision into his good ranks. The day I gave my life to Jesus, he didn't just cover my sin. He elevated me and empowered me to live a whole new lifestyle. You'll find all the way out throughout the Bible that every person that gives their life and surrenders their life to Christ, he makes them look better than they could have ever looked by their own, by themselves. I want to tell you, you weren't delivered from, a de- from Egypt just to drown in a desert, just to die in a desert. You weren't just li- delivered to survive. You were delivered to dominate past the desert. Don't quit on hard times. Don't quit just because there's toughness. He didn't just deliver you just to let you die. He delivered you to develop you and to make you more than you could ever be by yourself.